So Lord, I thank you this morning. You are an amazing good God who deeply loves us. And yet sometimes we uh, are challenged by those thoughts because of our current condition in our lives. And so I pray today that you will speak beautiful words of encouragement and life as well as corrective words, which I believe are loving words, a challenging word to us. You know, they didn't care if you worship all kinds of gods because most people were, by the way, there was very few atheists in the first century. They hardly existed. People worship many gods. Who cares what you worship as long as you pay tribute to Caesar? And Caesar was called Lord. And the, some of the early Christians said, hey, you know what? We're not, we're not, we don't believe Caesar's Lord. We believe Jesus is Lord. Romans had low tolerance for that. And so they were persecuted. And so to avoid persecution, you just went along with the crowd. And you know, isn't that the same temptation we have today? It comes like this. You know, what I, what I do is I just go along with where people are at. Therefore, I don't feel like I stand out. I don't stand up for anything. I just go along with where the crowd's at. See, you and I... If we keep doing that, then we have really compromised ourselves. We are a compromised person. Actually, Jesus does not think that's good. That's not a good thing. He wants us to have firm convictions of what is right, what is wrong, and that you and I don't have to do it in a confrontational way all the time, but, you know, we have to be gracious. But when people are mocking and saying things, they say, you know, I just don't agree with that. Real nice. I don't agree with that. Oh, what do you believe? Then you get a chance to tell them. And they could laugh at you. Oh, I don't, that'll hurt my feelings, Pastor. I don't want anybody laughing at me. I'm going, yeah, but there may be somebody there going, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't really believe what everybody else believed. I didn't know what to believe. And when you and I stand up, some of them go, you know what, that makes more sense. I'm, I'm prepared to follow what you're saying rather than where the crowd is going, okay? See, I'm going to bring something out to you when I preach through Revelation. I believe that the spirit of Antichrist is prevailing in our culture today. And a lot of Christians are being seduced by it. And we don't even realize it. So we need to identify what is it that we're being seduced by. But let me move on to the the second aspect. Uh, Oh, I got to say this. This is important. While love is the typical Christian attitude, love for the good carries with it a corresponding hatred for what is wrong. See, we we think hatred's bad. I go, no, it's not. We need to hate the wrong things. Okay? And then, this is what we need to learn. Leon Moore says it. Notice it's the practices and not the people that are the objects of hatred. For example, you know what? I hate what ISIS is doing. I hate it. But I have to love the people that are doing it. Is that hard? It is hard, especially if they kill your mom or your sister. Come on now. See, isn't that hard? So I'm not saying what I'm going to talk about today isn't easy to do. I'm going to argue today that you cannot do it apart from God's spirit coming inside of you and filling his love inside of you. You just can't do it. I can't do it. We can't do it. Let me move on to the second aspect. It's what Jesus wants to correct us. See, he starts out by affirming us. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to affirm people. You know, sometimes we're married. Some of us are married. Can I just say this, spouses? We tend to focus on the things that bug us. Come on now. Can we stop that? Please? I want you to make a list of all the good things, all the good qualities of your spouse, and I want you to get up tomorrow and name at least two of them. I want you to do it all week long. Make a list, two things. Every day you've got to get up and say to your spouse, I so appreciate this about you. 
I so appreciate this about you. I want you to only speak words of affirmation this week. I don't want any words of correction, just words of affirmation. It'll change the way you think. Because I know how we work as human beings. We just focus on the problem. We never focus on what's good. And I'm gonna, you're going to be shocked. There are more good things about your spouse than bad things. And if you start focusing on the good things, pretty soon you're not going to notice. And it's not going to bother you as much. You're going to go, you know, I'm really fortunate to be married to you. I'm fortunate to be married to my wife. She's such a smart girl. She is really discerning. She's smart. You know, I'm, t- I'm being honest. My wife is an extremely bright person. She has really helped me as a pastor. She has put up with a lot of stuff as a pastor's wife. I'm going, I am so impressed with her. She's had to live a sacrificial life. You know, she's had to give up a lot of time because of what I do. You know, I'm proud of her. You know, the other day I just, you know, we were just chatting and I just said, you know, I, I really love you. And I just like, well, what did I do? I go, no, I just really love you. <laughs> That's good. She was just like, really? I go, yeah, of course. We need to say it. Right? And mean it. It's so important. Okay. Obviously, some people are just critical. Now, can I just say this? If we have to correct somebody, you don't start with correction. Because if all you're doing is always correcting, people will shut you down. They won't listen to you. But if people know you love them and you've affirmed them and you've encouraged them and you've comforted them, when you finally say, you know, there's something I'm seeing that you're doing, I'm not correcting you because it's bugging me. I'm correcting you because it's going to destroy you. That's when we should correct people. See, we correct people because it bugs us. What we should be doing is correcting a person when it's destroying them. That's a big difference. And by the way, correction, we have this funny idea. We think correction is an unloving thing to do. Come on, how many here, deep down inside you go, I never feel correction is a loving thing to do. I want to I explode that myth right now. Do you know the Bible says that God corrects or disciplines everyone that's his children? God disciplines those he loves. And he actually doesn't care. In a sense, if you don't correct some, if you're a parent and you never correct your child, you're basically saying, I don't love you. That's true. You are basically saying, I do not love you. I do not love you enough to share what is going to destroy your life. And you know, if I really love you as a pastor, and I see you doing something that's destructive to you, if I really love you, I'm going to take you aside and go, you know, This is what I value about you. I want to be like Jesus now. This is what I value. I always do this. I try to tell people what I value about them because you know what? I know that when you correct somebody, then you, so many of us have been broken and we're so insecure that we think that we're our, we think we're the problem. I go, no, you're an amazing person. You have all these wonderful things going on in your life, but you're doing one thing that's sabotaging all the good things in your life. This is going to destroy you. That's why I'm talking to you. You see, you have to, you see, how many are catching on? God does that to us. We need to learn how to do that to people we have relationship with. Key word, relationship with. You can't do this to people you don't have a relationship with. Okay, so now we have a problem that we need to identify. What's the problem that Jesus brought to the attention of the Ephesian church? It was of such a magnitude, the problem. That all the good things were negated by the big problem. What was the problem? Jesus says, I have something that I'm holding against you. Yet I hold this against you. What was it? Verse 4. You have forsaken 
your first love. Whoa, what's that mean, pastor? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question. Because if we don't get this right, we won't understand what Jesus is trying to correct. Now, John tells us in his epistle, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, I cannot say I love God and not love people. The true measure of my love for God is defined by how I treat people. That's what's showing me if I really love God or not. Now, I'm going to say something very honest to you. I'm not a loving person. I'm not. I am so, un, you know, because our capacity is very limited. We're like a little thimble, you know, sewing thimble. That's about our capacity for love. You go, really? Yeah, because the moment people do things that irritate us, bug us, you know, frustrate us, we're all uptight. That's a low capacity. Come on now. I'm being honest. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Let's not play a game. Let's just say, you know what? When it comes to love, we have a, we have a deficiency in this area. Now, some people have a greater capacity of love because they've been loved unlimitedly by their parents. They've had loving parents. That really helps you, by the way. You know? And it affects the way you're going to have in your future. Because let's just say it this way. Uh, Judson Cornwall, Michael Reed say that God's love is totally undeserved, unmerited, and unearned is self-evident. In other words, God's love isn't something he gives you because you earned it. God is love. God loves you in spite of who you are. This love is necessary for spiritual life is far less evident. Most of what God's love does for us is behind the scenes. God's love is the strength of our being, the wisdom of our minds. It gives direction to our actions, strength to function, and support to being. When we embrace his love, our lives are complete, but when we exclude it, we flounder in life. We, we now know that the lack of parental love will affect the personality and behavior of an individual throughout his or her entire life. We now, oh, okay, and God, the perfect parent, knows that we need more than a token touch of his hand. We need to be made secure in his love in order to mature successfully in life, and he offers us that security. We can only love in proportion to the revelation we have of God's love. So what is this all meaning? Here's what a lot of us do. We try to be good so God will love us. No, 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 no. You can't be good enough. You'll always fail. We all fail. Not one of us can make it, you know? And the other problem is, this is how we start relationships. I can still see a young man, young woman, fall, they fall in love. And this is how they all, it all starts the same story, starts the same way. We love each other. That's why we want to get married. And it's amazing what we will do for the person we love. Isn't that true? It's amazing what we'll do for the person we love. But what happens is once we get into a a relationship, then we get distracted by other things. Isn't that true? We go to work, and eventually, you know, we come home, and and we're, we're not very loving to each other. You know, we get upset about things. We start saying things we shouldn't say. And pretty soon we get more affirmation from work than we do from home. Right? And pretty soon we spend more time at work than at home. And pretty soon the other person says, you don't love me anymore. And we have all these issues about, I don't feel loved anymore. I'm, that's one scenario I'm painting. 
I could go on and paint all kinds. I could talk about how our love is conditional, how we're upset with this individual, how there's deficiencies in people's lives. But I'm trying to bring out something. We're all love deficient. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Some of you have more of a a capacity, more love in you than other people. But I'm going to say this is the good news. Here's what you need to know. No matter how you were brought up, there's one who loves you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul prayed this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, that we might have a revelation of the height, the breadth, the length, and the depth of God's love. Why did he pray that prayer? To the degree that I know that I'm loved by God, to the degree that I'm receiving God's love in my life is the degree that I become a channel of that love. And you see, when I come to God to have my love needs met, then I actually will not be looking for people to meet my love needs. See, that's our problem. We're looking for other people to love us all the time and we're always disappointed with them because they never love us to the degree that we need to be loved. We're always going, I'm I'm still starving for it. I never have enough love, Pastor. I feel like I'm, I'm depleted. There's not enough love. This person isn't loving me to the capacity that I need to be loved. And I'm going, they always will def- be deficient in their love to you. That's why you need to come to God and say, God, you're the lover of my soul. I open my heart. I want to receive your spirit. It says, and the Holy Spirit is poured, the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I open my heart to you. May your love just fill me to overflowing capacity so that now I become a channel of your love to others. Amen. That's powerful stuff. That's what has to happen. And that's what changes us. Because often what happens is we just start minoring on, majoring on the minors, you know. Or we try to make ourselves, you know, acceptable uh, to God by what we do and forget that we're acceptable to God because of what he did. Or as Cindy Morgan in her song says, I've learned God loves us not because we're good, but because he's good. Isn't that beautiful? So you don't have to work to earn God's love. I'm trying to free you from that today. You can never earn his love. You know why? He's already given it to you. Yay! You know, it's like Rachel, my youngest daughter, she goes, I say, I love you, Rachel. I love you more, Dad. So she, you know, she always says that. So I, I can't go, I love you more than you love me. We can play that game. So I, I text her back, I loved you first. She goes, that's not fair. But what I'm trying to teach her, and where did you get that from, Pastor? That's a pretty good idea. I got it from God. See, God says to me, you didn't love me. I loved you. The reason you love me today is because I loved you first. God loved us first. Hallelujah. Yes. And once I grasp that, once I grasp that, oh God, thank you for loving me and forgiving me and cleansing me and working in my life. Now it changes a lot of things in my life. So what does God tell this church to do? Because they lost their first love. He says, remember what it was like when you first came to me? And you think about it. Do you know when you first come to God, you're just, it's like first when you first start dating somebody you're crazy about and you finally get married to them. You know, it's amazing. You just want to do anything for that person. God says, I want you to get back to that place. And by the way, couples, we need to get back to that place. We need to be at that place. How do you get there, pastor? By opening your heart to God and realizing you can't get there without him. You got to remember the height from which you've fallen. 
Repent and do the things you did at first. Repentance is just simply, I'm changing my mind and agreeing with God. You know, stop blaming other people. Stop making excuses. Just say, God, you're right. I'm deficient and I need your help. God goes good. I'll give it to you. But if we won't acknowledge our need for him, we don't get help, you know. Let me move on to the final aspect. And it's simply this, because I want to close and give you a chance to respond. Is the, areas, is the area that we need to be comforted in. Do you know, just pointing out to somebody what's wrong in their life doesn't help them unless you tell them how to change, right? You got a problem in this area. Well, that's thank you. Yeah, I know I got a problem in that area, but what do I do about it? Well, Jesus tells us how to change. I love this about Jesus. He doesn't just tell us we got a problem. He shows us what to do to move past the problem. You know, we will never respond in obedience apart from a promise. You know, every time God tells us to do something, he says, listen, if you'll do this, this is what I'll do to help you. This is how I'm going to help you do it. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming along and helping me. I mean, you know, just telling me I got a problem isn't helpful. I already know that. What I need is how to get beyond the problem. How many here say, that's great. I want to get beyond the problem. I just don't want to be told I got a problem. I want to grow past it. Jesus says, no problem, I'll do that. So every command of God is built upon, Scott Hoffman says, every command of God is built upon a promise from God. Therefore, every divine call to action is at the same time a divine summons to trust in God's promises. Now, I want you to think about that. You know, what's really happening when we're tempted? You know, know, because listen what happens. God gives the promise here. In verse 7, he says, He who is in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I, I get to unpack that. That's all symbolic language. Where's the paradise of God? Well, go back to the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden. What was happening? There was a tree of life. They were eating from the tree of life. Do you know when you and I come to Christ, guess what happens? We are now back in the garden eating from the tree of life. Did you guys know that? Because the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. And, this is, and, we, and we can know that we have eternal life. If we believe in the Son of God, we have this life, this eternal life. And so you and I, when we receive Christ, we're now eat, we're in the garden. And the garden speaks of a place of intimacy. It speaks of a place where we're relating to each other in intimacy. And the biggest problems in our relationships is, there a, is a lack of intimacy. We're guarded. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to expose ourselves because we've all been taken advantage of. So we, we have a hard time letting our guards down, right? Trust is a huge issue for us. Isn't that right? And what was the real temptation in the garden? You know, the devil comes to, the serpent comes to the woman. He says, listen, if you eat of the tree, God knows you're going to be like him and you're going to know the knowledge of good and evil. And it was like, you know, she saw that the fruit was good to look at and she saw that it was, you know, nice to be touched and she ate of it. She succumbed to the temptation because she felt like somehow God was holding out on her. In other words, she really didn't trust that God was good. And isn't that our problem? That somehow when God asks us to do something, we think, well, this can't, I I don't want to do this because I don't see the value of this, or I don't see the benefit of this. And I'm just saying, hey, we got to trust the goodness of God. God knows what's best for us. But now let me close 
with this thing. When we, when we respond to God, we repent, we, we turn to him. When we experience his forgiving love, you know what happens then? Intimacy is restored. It's very powerful. But I want to close with a story. And then I'm going to ask you to respond. And I don't know who the story's about, but I know Leanne Rhymes. Leanne Rhymes, she's a singer. This story was told to her by someone who was a country and western star, and it was back in the 1950s. So I know this goes back a ways. But at the height of this other star's top of her thing, her father came to visit her one day at Thanksgiving. It was 1950. And because of the difficulties in their relationship, she didn't want to see him. So she said, well, she says, I was pretty big for my britches. So I, I just, my dad came to town and I put on the door, my door, a sign that said, gone until someone is gone and he knows who he is. Later, I found out that my father had slept that night in the bus station. I guess he had tickets to get to town, but he didn't have enough money to secure a room. And so he left town without ever seeing his only child. The next day, she said, I took a bus, a public transport bus to head to another engagement, another singing gig. And then a freak accident happened. Snowstorms hit, temperatures plumbing down to zero. She's from Nashville. Eventually, the bus drove off the road. The hardest thing of all was the fact that this singer was a diabetic. And she had not taken enough incident to sustain her through this time. She had taken just enough to make the trip. And so... I was becoming hysterical, she said. I was filled with anxiety. I felt like, you know what? I'm going to die. If the cold doesn't kill me, you know, I'm going to go into shock. And I didn't want to upset the other passengers, so I was kind of quietly sobbing. And all of a sudden, this old fellow with dark glasses came from the back of the bus, and he sat beside me. And he wore a knit cap, pulled over his forehead and his ears. He had long hair and kind of shaggy, you know, kind of looked like a vagrant. But I noticed that he felt his way to the seat, so I recognized he was blind. And I realized he must have been the only person on the bus who heard me crying. And he asked me, what's wrong? And I wanted to tell someone. And it turned out he knew everything about diabetes. He told me that it had actually taken his sight and that he used insulin as well, and he even brought enough for me. He says, I got enough here for both of us. And I thought... This man has the sweetest spirit I've ever seen. And then he told me my speaking voice was as pretty as my singing voice. And I said, you know who I am? And he said, yep, you're my favorite singer. I can't believe you recognize me from just hearing what I'm saying. Well, he said, us blind people, we can see with our ears. And as they began to talk, he started sharing that he had this daughter and how much he loved her and how he wanted to be with her. And then he got quiet for the longest time and I thought he had fallen asleep and then we heard men beating on the door of the bus and we were about to be rescued and I shook the old man to wake him but it was no use. I thought, oh no, he's entered into shock. But the truth had been, he'd been in shock for hours and, I, and he hadn't any spare insulin. he had only had enough for himself to see himself through but he had given what he had for me. And in the darkness with his hat and beard and dark glasses, I couldn't tell he was in shock. He had been shivering something fierce, but I thought that was from the coal. And here this man had died right next to me. She closed her eyes remembering I was so weak. The rescuers carried me up the hill from the, from the bus to the truck. We were taken back to Nashville. 
And the man who saved my life was left behind in the cold and dark. And one of the drivers said, he'll be fine. The weather will keep him frozen until we can have a proper funeral. And so I was reading the newspaper two days later about the accident and the rescue. And it had the name of the man who saved my life. And the name jumped off the page at me because it was my father. My father gave his life for me. Now, you have to understand something, folks. In the Christian life, we think there's all these things we need to do. There's all these things we need to do in life. But you know, it's interesting. When we get to the end, this is the verse that I want to conclude with. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You see, if you and I really don't love, Paul tells us in Corinthians, it really doesn't matter, does it? He says, I can give my body to be burned. I can suffer a martyr's death. I can speak eloquently, but if I don't have love, he says, all of these things are like a tinkling cymbal. They're just a bunch of noise and they have no impact. So I'm going to have a stand as we close this morning and I want to just challenge you a little bit. I want to challenge you as I've been, cha- I've been challenged. And I'll just say it to you this way. That at the end of the day, the only reason you and I are here in this building is because God so loved. Isn't that not, is that not true? God's love is why we're here today. And you and I need God's love. Because I would argue with you and I would say of myself, there's a limit on how much I love. But I know with God there is no limit. And I know that the only thing that's going to change people's lives is not our arguments, it's not our information. It's our a heart filled with love. That's what changes our marriages and our lives. And in this room today, you can say, you know, Pastor, I've noticed. Maybe I've become more critical, more frustrated, more irritable. I'm more upset about things. You know what you need? You need God's love. You need a new infusion of God's love, just like I do. You know, I said to myself today, if you and I would experience a new experience of God's love, we would have revival. Because I've learned one thing in my life, that when I am the closest to God, and I know when I'm the closest to God, it's not a feeling. It's more than just a feeling. It's how I feel towards others. Because all the barriers that I erect in my soul, and I know you probably do in yours when you've been hurt or disappointed or trust has been violated, you have, you, there's an edge, there's a, there's a little barrier. You don't, you don't, but the moment I'm in God's presence, that barrier comes down. And I can begin to love people I don't even like. That's a miracle. And sometimes that person could be my spouse. Right? It could be. And I, and I know some of you here today, God's speaking to you. The Spirit of God is talking to you and saying, you know what? You've got a lot of good things happening in your life. But Jesus is saying to you today, but there's one thing missing. You've moved away from that place where the love of God 
is supreme in your heart. And I'm going to invite you to come out of your pew right now and say, you know what? I want a new experience of God's love. I need to have a renewed experience of God's love. I need to return to that first love. You come right now, quickly. We're going to pray very quickly. I'm going to let you go in two minutes. Come right now. You need this experience of God's love. And you know what? I'll tell you something. When this comes in your soul, you're able to love people that are difficult to love. That's the only way you can do it. I can't, I, I, I can't love people that are difficult. I need God's love to do that. I know that. I'm bankrupt. You just come real quick. You know what? We're going to do something else that we don't normally do. I want you to turn to the person right next to you, somebody close by you. I want you to start praying for that person right now. I want you to grab somebody. I want you to pray with them right now. Find somebody right there and start praying. Now, that's great. Come on now. I want you to, we're going to pray for each other this morning. Because, you know, we can talk about this, but it's not going to happen unless we start praying with each other. And maybe you're in the pews right now and you're saying, you know, I should be going up there. Turn to the person right next to you and say, you know what? Help me. Help me to love like God loves. Help me to receive God's love in my heart. Let's do it right now. Just take two minutes and we'll go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray for each other. Pray for each other. Yeah, do it. Just pray for each other. Amen. Pray for one another. Let those barriers come down. Let those barriers come down. Let the Spirit of God touch your heart this morning. Lord, fill my brothers. Fill my sisters with divine love. Fill our hearts with your divine love, Lord. Give us a forgiving love. Help us to learn to accept people. We may not always agree, but help us to accept people. To be far more loving, less critical, less frustrated, less angry, less uptight, less upset. Lord, I just pray that your love would fill our hearts. Help us, oh God. Help us in this new year to be more loving, more forgiving, more kind, more understanding, more long-suffering, more patient with each other, Lord. Help us, oh God. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. It's good. You're praying for each other. You know, that's when, that's when we start bonding, folks. That's when the barriers come down. That's when change happens in our life. It just takes time. We got to do this. God bless you as you leave this morning.